Good morning. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, you can begin to turn there. If you don't, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. And we'd love for you to take that home uh, with you as a gift from us. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you're using a paper Bible. There's going to be a table of contents at the front and you can find uh, Galatians there. Big numbers are going to be chapters. Small numbers are going to be verses. We're in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. Let me read the verse for us, and then we'll begin to to address this. Paul writes, and he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Culturally, every fall, we're indoctrinated with this sense of kind of beginnings and starting over again. Now, it begins for us as we enter into school, and then it just carries all the way through uh, high school. If you go to college, it has this same sense of every fall, it starts over. Every fall, it starts over. And, And every time, you're given an option, an opportunity to determine how then are you gonna go into the fall? How then are you going to approach this? So it doesn't matter if you're still in that wheelhouse of, man, I know that I have midterms coming up and however these things are going to work, or if school is so distant in your past, still culturally, it's a significant moment. So in this moment, I want us to step to the side and just begin to think, begin to contemplate how might this season look differently if you dedicate it to the Lord? Likely, you've been entering into this season, likely you've been entering into the falls of your life just kind of haphazardly, without giving a consecrated thought to what this looks like. But if we answer well the questions Paul asks us here, it can make a fundamental difference, not only in our lives, but in every school we step into, in every business we visit, in every neighborhood we inhabit. If we would be those who would seek to work for the approval and to please our Lord instead of working for the approval and the pleasure of those we encounter. Amen? So I want us just to, just to sit here uh, for a moment and contemplate what this would look like. Paul writes and he asked this question that for those uh, Galatians had to be incredibly difficult. And the question simply in verse 10 says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Now look what he does there. He pits one against the other. He says, look, uh, as you evaluate me, as you evaluate my ministry, this is the question Paul is asking, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Now, as they looked at Paul, those in Galatia had a significant issue with the way that he was teaching. And they supposed that when he was among uh, Jews and he was one way, and when he was among Gentiles that he was another way, that his primary motivation for this behavior was that they would look at him and say, I really like that guy, Paul. I just, I just, just something about him. I just really like him. He just really kind of works himself into my life. I just really like the way he puts that. And so their assumption was that Paul's delivery changed so that they would look at him and like him more. And if we're honest, this is how most of us or many of us find ourselves engaging in this temptation. Do we want to seek the approval of man or of God? Do we want to seek the approval of man or of God. And, 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 and it comes because, because man inhabit our immediate presence, right? They are in our vicinity. They are in our homes. We are, they are in our places of business. They are in our places of academy. With each and every interaction, 
we're asking, we have to ask ourselves the question of whose pleasure am I going to pursue in this? Whose approval am I going to seek in this? And I think as Paul looks at this and, and he's evaluating this for those there in, in Galatia, he's recognizing that over and over again, time in and time out, their temptation is to give themselves to that which is most immediate, most pressing. I think one of the reasons why we tend to find ourselves not living for the approval of God and instead living for the approval of men is one is because of distance and two is because of mistaken identity. There's this idea of, of distance that, that we find ourselves engaging with and living with when it comes to seeking the approval of God. The approval of God feels abstract. The approval of man is decidedly concrete. You can know within just a short time of being around somebody, you can know within a short time of having some job whether or not you are winning the approval of your superior, right? Most of them will let it be known to you if you're not winning their approval. But when you think of the approval of God, it's this abstract thing that we just really have a hard time in fleshing. We have a really hard time understanding why it's important. And beyond that, I think we have a really hard time is it such a big deal? Does God really care? I don't see any immediate detriment to my not following through in this, and so is it really such a big deal? So the idea of distance. We have this sense in this feeling that, that our lives occupy an unending space of time. An unending space of time, and because of that, the, the sense of immediacy of dying and stepping into God's presence for most of us, for some of us, you're like, oh, I made it another one, oh, I made it another one. But for most of us, we're not, we're not agonizing over whether or not we're going to continue to draw breaths through this service. So stepping into God's spirit, ex, his presence and experiencing him feels like something that's gonna take a long time. And so uh, we're just not all that worried. We're not all that troubled. We're not all that bothered. Whether or not we're working, expending energy, expending our finances for his pleasure to glorify him in the midst of these things. Quite simply, we can't see God. We have no physical God in front of us that we can see and point to. We don't go to our, back to our homes on Sunday mornings. We're not passing by God in the hallway saying, hey, look, I'm here. Mark down my attendance. And, and, but, but people around us, we can see. And so we're being trained culturally. We're being trained by our experiences to seek the approval of man, to seek it out. We don't seem to think that the, the consequences of not seeking for God's approval we don't seem to think that they are more acute, they're more pressing, they're more dangerous, they're more deadly than not receiving the approval of man. Now, if you don't receive the approval of your peer group, you may find yourself without friends. If you don't seek the approval at work, there's this sense that, man, I'm never going to move into this next level of my job. I'm not going to get uh, a raise. I'm never going to be able to move. I'm always going to be stuck in this same cycle over and over again. And so we find ourselves being tuned culturally, being tuned economically that there is an added incentive to seeking the approval of the people around us. Now, the problem is when we begin to make that an ultimate goal and the only goal. Because we say, well, you know, if I don't seek the approval of God, it, it, it's just not as consequential. It just doesn't seem to matter. I think one of the reasons that we find ourselves in this is because of this, this stunning loss 
of recognition of where our identity is found. Man, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a person who has submitted yourself to Jesus, you cried out, God, save me. You believed in the blood of Jesus, him who has died to take away your sins, him who is raised and reigns at the right hand of God on high. If this is who you are, then your identity is not being somebody who seeks the approval of man. Your identity is in someone who has already landed his approval on you because of the finished work of Jesus. You have already been approved. You already have God's approval because you rest in his son. John gives us this this wonderful picture of the difficult nature of this in John chapter 15 of what it looks like to have the approval of the Father and what it looks like to lose out on the approval of the world. Now, this is difficult for us because it sounds unpopular. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. So Jesus is saying, look, if everybody around you hates you on the basis of the fact that you're my follower, it's okay. They hated me first. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And the more our identity is tied to being a person, to being a people of Jesus, the more acute it should be our experience of the disdain of this world. And that's just just not pleasant. Like I, I seldom have people come in my office and say, Pastor, let me ask you a question. I recognize, like I've been reading scripture a fair amount, and it seems like the closer I get to Jesus, in some sense, the worse things are going to be for me, and I'm all in, and I want to experience that. So if you could just prescribe like three or four things I could do to be alienated by my friends, by my family, by my coworkers, would you give me that list? Like, I, I, I haven't had that meeting. Now, some of you are doing that, but it's not because you're being a Christian. It's because you're just a person nobody wants to spend time with. But what we see scripturally is that he over and again tells us this. You know, if we are close to Jesus, we'll find ourselves being aliens and sojourners in this world. People, in some sense, will feel a distance and a disconnect between you and them because you identify as a person of Jesus and they identify as a person of the world. When you recognize your identity being in him, then it is foreign from you. It's sickening from you. It it, it should lead you to see that there's this terrific incongruity. These things don't follow one another. I cannot seek the approval of man because I'm already approved by God. Man's approval is fleeting and fickle. If you're to find any, almost any hot button topic and issue and to say, man, this is where our culture's going and I just want to be there and I just want to win their approval, so this is the ideology I'm going to buy into. And so just, just take almost any one of these and then track back decade by decade by decade. You'll find them growing in increasing popularity and then popularity and unpo- unpopular and popular again. It's fickle. If you base your decisions on winning the approval of men, you'll find your decisions change over and over and over again. But if you would make decisions, if you would live your life as a person whose identity is solely found in God, living and working for his approval, recognizing that you already are approved because, you're, because of your identity in Jesus, You're found in him, you rest in him, you breathe and work in him, you minister through him. There's nothing fleeting about that. But there's something terrifically everlasting about that. 
There's something completely transformative about it. And when we live this way and when we engage this way, we beckon others to follow us into this pursuit. Parents, my prayer for you is that your kids would see you living and expending your life seeking the approval of God and not man. But man, what do the hours we work say about that? Put all the, the sporting events and, and, and just the family activities that we do and all the various decisions we make, whose approval are we seeking to garner? I fear that too many of us are significantly impacted by our cultural's culture's view of success we want to be approved we want to be liked we want to be applauded instead of operating from a mindset that says i already am in him and that's all that matters that's all that matters. paul gives us a, a sense of, of of what it is look what it looks like to live an approved life Still in this book of Galatians, in chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul puts to this same group of people this stunningly uh, amazing statement. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom you've been set free. There in Galatia, they had this understanding that if they were a slave and their owner came to them and decided to set them free, and so Justin's a slave and he comes to me, I'm his master, and I'm going to set him free, I could take him to the temple and I could write, Justin, freed unto temple service. So he's no longer my slave, he's no longer under my authority, but he has to live out his days to the temple. So in a transfer of ownership, I could sentence him to some other way, some other mode of life and manner of existence. But this is what Jesus says. Look, he says, you have been freed for freedom. You have been set free. Stop finding other ways to entrap yourself. Stop finding other ways to enslave yourself. Stop giving yourself to another master. Live is one set free. And when you seek constantly over and over again for the approval of men you have made yourself a slave to them and not truly free in God be a free person be a free person his blood has set you free do not again submit yourself to the yoke of slavery be free when we live approved lives when we recognize our identity rests in him we'll find ourselves freely living and loving those around us. Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew uh, 22. He's, he's trying to give an explanation for what the greatest commandment is. And back in verse 36 of chapter 22, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God. Listen to this with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. God calls us to from a place of security and having already received the love of God through the Son, to love him with every fiber of your existence, to love him with everything you've got. And notice the order of priority here. It is only after we have uh, steadfastly hooked our love to Jesus, given everything we have, leaned forward in love for him, that we are ready to go out and to love our neighbor. God, make sure that we are solid on our identity in him before he sends us out into the world. We have received his love, 
so that when we go out and we love our neighbor like ourselves, we do that as men and women who have already received the love of the Father. So there's no vacillating in our our hearts. There's no back and forth. There's no, I don't know, this is going to be difficult. I really want to be approved by them. I really want to be liked by them. He says, no, you have loved me. You have identified in me. You have believed on the name above all names. In the midst of this, go What about the idea of pleasing? Paul moves on to the second half of this question. He says, or am I trying to please man? It's fascinating the way that Paul does this. He's not just saying, do I occasionally do things that seek to please man? But he describes this entire preoccupation of life, this entire way of existence and way of living where I find myself over and over and over again living this example and living out this way and I find my life being fulfilled in no other way outside of trying to please man. So we think of this who are some people that you try and please? In a real sense, it's very much the same deal. We try and please our superiors. We want to please our parents. We want to please people that we deem worthy of wanting to impress. I want to make them happy. I want them to be my friend. I think a difficult aspect of this is we want to please ourselves. Sometimes the most significant obstacle to us working to please the Lord is we're so busy wanting to please ourselves. We don't really care what anybody else thinks. We don't really care how they're engaged. We don't really care how they're affected. We want to please ourselves, and so we find ourselves so preoccupied in this that we don't give even uh, the smallest consideration as to whether or not we are pleasing the Lord. Now, how do you rebut this like what's the pushback on this all right so for man i understand this you're telling me don't work for their approval and don't seek to please them okay i get this but it seems that you're advocating just to be a jerk to everybody because if i'm a jerk to everybody if i'm if i'm removed and distant and just far off from them nobody's nobody's giving me their approval that's not pleasing anybody and so quite simply i mean it's a fair question i think is he saying that we should be jerks like I see one guy in the back saying, that sounds like what I'm doing already. But no, like that's, that's not what he's saying. That's clearly not the direction of the gospel. That's not God's heart for the lost. This is not a license to be removed and to snipe at everybody you disagree with. He's not calling us to this. As we find our identity in him, he's not calling us to be a jerk. He's also not calling us to be lazy. There's this, there's this idea, oh, you know, I've already received... Uh, freedom in God, I've already been given grace beyond measure and all these various things. So I can just do whatever I want. It doesn't matter how my boss feels. It doesn't matter how my spouse feels. It doesn't matter how anybody else feels. I can just do whatever I want, just kind of laissez-faire. Everything's going to be fine. Christians should be some of the hardest working people ever, not because we're trying to merit God's favor, but because we already have it, because of who we are working for, to whom our efforts are expended in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Notice the ultimacy there. I can work hard in my job. I can please my boss, but my efforts, my energy is not being poured out out of a desire to please them, to win their approval. I already have God's approval. Their approval doesn't matter. I want to please the Lord. Knowing that you'll receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Lord Christ. 
We can't be lazy. I'm going to tell you that a mindset on pleasing the people around you is never going to translate to true gospel engagement. It is not immediately pleasing to someone to walk up to them, to begin a conversation or to turn a conversation towards the gospel that results in you at some point having to tell them you are a sinner separated from the love of God. Not just this notional idea that, look, all humanity is lost, but that you personally have sinned. You personally are far from the love of God. You personally are receiving, and, and, and the wrath of God is headed towards you. This isn't an immediately a pleasing conversation to have with somebody, right? And so I'm in Walmart. I meet the checker. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have any coupons. I, I, don't, I don't take the paper. And just kind of having this conversation, I'm like, God's got to thwart you! And she's like, what did you say? I'm just like, the wrath of God is coming! And she says, what? I'm like, you're going to burn in hell! She's like, I'm going to what? I'm like, uh, n- n- nothing. Uh, I'm sorry. Can I, can I get a do-over? She says, no, of course. Well, that was an unpleasant experience. But, but many of our experiences in sharing the gospel will be similar. Hopefully not too similar. Good night. But it's this idea that, man, if you're constantly looking around trying to figure out how to get people to like you, how to get people to like you to the point that they're agreeing with the gospel, you're never going to get to bold gospel engagement because you're mistaking seeking to please people instead of seeking to please the Lord. See, the mindset of these people uh, that, that have this, this false assumption are much like those that Jesus talks about in John 12. John 12, 42 and 43 Jesus is out and he's performing miracles. And 42 says, nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him. How great is that? When these guys see Jesus out, they hear Jesus speak, they believe in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it because they would be put out of the synagogue. It would have been unpopular. They would have lost their community. The cost would be too high for them to follow Jesus. Verse 43 summarizes it. It says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If you're seeking to be liked, if you're seeking to be applauded, if you're seeking to win friends, you're going to find yourself moving against the direction of the Lord. Paul gives us a simple consequence for these two things. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And you quite simply today hear this. You can't have two masters. You can't serve man and God. You're going to serve one faithfully, and you're largely going to ignore the other. You cannot do this. I want to think of it in terms of kind of three categories. You, your legacy, and our church. Think about this next season you're going into, or maybe the season you're walking in. What would it look like for you? You're headed into school. What would it look like for you to work to seek the approval of God, to work to seek to please God from a secure place of identity of already having been loved, and recognizing that he puts you there to be a significant impact to all those you encounter. How could that change this season for you? 
headed into school? How could it change the season for you in the workplace? You've been gone some this summer, you're coming back, you're headed in. How could it change the lunchtime conversations you have with your coworkers? How could it change the dynamic that you have with your parents, with your superiors, with your peers? And you begin to think, if I give myself in this season the sold-out identity found fully and finally and ultimately in him, how might that change this? Think about your legacy. I've heard a quote a number of times that's attributable to Bob Hamilton, a former pastor at Ridgecrest, who used to say, and never pat yourself on the back as having lived a good life until you see your grandchildren walking in faith. When your kids turn 18 and, and, and move off to college, you have not finished in the sense of, oh, now I can just live my life however I want to. Many of us, the reason our kids walk away from faith when they go off to college is because you've been a terrible example to them. They know that you were only in church when you had nothing better to do. They know that as soon as they're out of the house, you're not going to go back to church. You're only going to go there when it's convenient, when there's not something more entertaining to do. And so the reason your kids don't take their faith seriously is because you never have. It's not a failure of them. It's a failure of you, the parent. What do you want your legacy to look like? What do you want your legacy to look like? Every decision you make as a mom or a dad or an aunt or a person in this church that somebody else could look up to, Every single decision is fair game for everybody else to look at and say they're modeling themselves after Christ. This is what it looks like. But is that true of you? Are you pursuing the Lord or pursuing something else? This is devastating. To think that I could go through my life and live in such a way that when my kids grow up, they walk away from the Lord and they say, this is what we saw in you. Jesus is only ever important when you're in front of people. Jesus is only ever important on Sundays. Jesus is only ever important when something's going wrong. What about you? What about your legacy? Just think about us as a church. We can make decisions over and over and over again to be maximally impactful for our community and completely miss the Lord in the midst of it. This is my fear when we remodeled. This is my fear anytime we do everything that I want to make sure we're doing things in such a way as to please the Lord and to win his approval. People come, people leave. This is what churches do. People come, people leave for any different number of reasons. We want to be faithful. We want to be humble. We want to be usable. We want to glorify him in the midst. Churches that try and make everyone happy, listen to this, they don't make anybody happy. They don't. We don't want to conduct programs. We don't want to have ministries. We don't want to be known as the place where you can come and be happy. We want to be known as the place where you can come and identify with the Lord and to serve him faithfully. So much more difficult. It's not glitzy. It's not popular. But it's the only way to be faithful what he calls us. Paul tells us here in the end, because if you're going to please men, if you're going to seek to honor them, I'm going to turn the lights off. <laughs> it's in the, the T and IV. He says, if we're going to do these things, we're not going to be able to be a servant of Christ. 
And I don't know about you, but I want us to be a church that honors the Lord. Amen? A church that follows him. Amen? Even when it's difficult. Especially when it costs us everything. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. An opportunity to worship you in this time, in this place. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in the ways that we live our lives. God, that we would not be those who seek to please ourselves, that we would not be those who seek to please those around us, but that we would be those who live a life wholly faithful to you, seeking to glorify you in all things. So God, through your spirit, would you lead us in that conviction? Would you guide us as we walk that path? Father, I want to pray for those here today and they've heard uh, the word you've been stirring in their hearts, but they've never responded in, to the gospel. That today they would be faithful to seek to please you, to submit their lives for your approval. That in Jesus they would find forgiveness. That in Jesus they would find freedom. God, I pray that your spirit would move in their hearts. Father, I pray for our community. The difficulties we're hearing in some different churches. And that today, that as they gather, they would have an opportunity to seek to glorify you, not themselves, not those around them. God, would you be a comfort to, the, to those who are suffering, those who are mourning? Would you guide us in our worship? We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.